Okay, thank you everyone for joining in uh, once again. My name is Meher Hora. For those of you who don't know, I'm part of the community team at Leap.Club. I'm very excited to see a bunch of you here today join us for this session. Talking to us today is a very special guest. Please welcome Rajiv Srivatsa. Rajiv is uh, a partner at Antler India, the India arm of global early stage venture capital firm Antler. As the co-founder of Urban Ladder, Rajiv spearheaded the startup to become one of the most beloved consumer brands in the country, charge, changing the way Indians shop for future furniture online. My bad, sorry. Uh, founder turned investor, he is passionate about working with early, early stage entrepreneurs on product, culture, and brand to build world-class companies. Uh, Raji, thank you so much for joining us today. We're super excited to learn from you, and I hope you're going to enjoy the next 60 minutes uh, with all our members over here as well. Thank you. Yeah, it's always awesome to see so many. The target audience is fantastic. 50, 30, 20. I think that's the best kind of target audience. And uh, it's obviously great to see all of you. I've heard a lot of things about Leap Club. I have, we have a bunch of very familiar face, faces from Antler who have been part of Leap Club, uh, either as a team member or as just part of the community. So obviously, we've heard a lot uh, about Leap Club. So it's good to address the audience. Uh, obviously feels uh, so, you know, the single guy or, you know, amongst a lot of women. This is the first time probably that's happened. I, you know, we've had, in Urban Ladder, there have been teams which have a lot of women. And obviously, you know, we've done a bunch of stuff around that. But in a digital forum, I think this is the first time. Um, so uh, I think I'm looking forward to, obviously, I think, uh, you know, the more I realized it, as I saw more women come in, I also realized how uh, maybe some of the content I talk is not as gender neutralized right and yeah. uh, i think it all starts with us you know in terms of from a leadership perspective that if we uh, factor in and the more i realized it i don't you know i've addressed the same content this week with a couple of other forums which obviously had obviously more men than women uh, it, i just you know took it so much for granted right i didn't say things which uh, should have you know been far far more uh, specific to women, I, I'll be extra cognizant of it, not just for this, but also the next time I do the same content. I think it's extremely important to do that. Um, having said that, obviously, you know, great to have this crowd. And what I'm going to try and do is in the next 20 minutes, uh, try to cover some material. Uh, and, uh, you know, the problem with being left behind is you put the bullet points and you put bullet points beyond bullet points. So I've tried to do that to get to some kind of a framework on how do you make that decision, especially for the 50% of you who are sort of on the fence in terms of making that decision on becoming from an employee to a founder? I think 30% of you who have already made that decision, yes. please do add in terms of things that I might miss or things that probably, you know, were factors that you had to factor in for sure. And uh, maybe I miss that and uh, it'll only help develop the framework better. The other 20%, I think it's only a matter of time before you jump into the 50%. So I think this material will be extremely applicable to you at some point in time. So so let's get into the material without further ado. Gaji, yes. Gaji, I'm so sorry, but before you get into that, we actually have a quick activity for you as well. It's not fair to leave you out of this activity. Sure. So what we're going to do is we're just going to uh, very quickly get into a rapid fire round. This is so our members get to know you a little better. So okay. I'll... I'm going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say the, you have to say the first thing that comes to your mind when I ask you the following. Um, so there's I, five I points. Suck, I, by the way, disclaimer, I suck at rapid fire, but go on. Well, we'll see it today then. <laughs> okay. The first one, the big F word funding. Up and down. Like pitch decks. No. Sorry? Pitch decks. Pitch decks. Oh, <laughs> uh, I love them. 
entrepreneurship we'll follow this by q and a so don't hold those questions back get uh, get the chat box buzzing we've already shared a bunch of questions with rajiv that you had shared while registering for the session so we're going to mix those up along with questions that come on the chat box um rajiv i'm not going to waste any more time i'm giving this to you now it's over to you <laughs> okay awesome so what i'm going to do as i said right just to keep the content tighter i'll try and cover the material in like 15 20 minutes max so that we have enough uh, time for the questions I, the, i saw some of the questions some of the content does address some of the questions but please feel free to use the chat window for the questions and i'll uh, just so that you know uh, you see the full material i'll do that and then come to the questions uh, so let me just share my screen you able to see my screen as you yep okay cool uh, okay so as i said i think uh, you know it's evening so we have to start with dilbert uh, there's not a presentation at least in the fag end of the evening or early afternoon that i don't start with the dilbert i think some point in time when you're part of a big company and everyone makes you believe it's only a corporate but i can tell you today every unicorn every decacorn that some of you might be working in also reaches the stage of a big company some point in its life right so this applies true to any big company anywhere where process has taken over as much as founders of all these places want to make you believe that they're still a startup i have also done it uh, but i think you know you know when a startup is no longer a startup right so i think if you have been someone who's sort of itching to go out and do something beyond sitting and making slides and presentations and powerpoints i think it's extremely important uh, so let me get into uh, the definition of what the content is about right I think there are three kinds of ways in which you can go do something independent. One, be an individual and do something independent. You can be a freelancer. Uh, you can, you know, and this is where I believe the a, a strong part of the workforce is going to move. Uh, it's not going to be any more just a small set. Uh, just not because of the creative economy, but just the way I think work will progress. Teams will become smaller. Teams will become more independent. And if you want this for the uh, ability to be absolutely in charge of your time then that's bucket number 1 then there's bucket number 2 where just instead of running it as an individual you move from being an individual to running a five team five member team or a 100 member team right here you can run a bootstrap business but the difference between 2 and 3 is that you're actually building an institution which is going to hyperscale whatever content i'm going to cover while it may apply at some level to even buckets 1 and 2 but is purely focused on bucket 3 so this what antler does what i have done as, as part of urban ladder is to run a venture capital led business and that in its inherent nature is quite different from 2 and 1 uh, in that you're going to uh, you know you're going to hyperscale not just your institution but you individually as a professional 
So you should only do this if, if you are ready for the change. In exactly three, four years, you will be someone completely different from yourself that you when you started. And in 10 years, I can tell you, you'll probably be 2x, 3x, completely different from where you started, right? So if you want to go undergo that kind of a change is the only reason why I believe you should even look at a venture capital-led business because it's going to shake you up right from inside. Uh, okay, so what I've done is I've structured this into three sort of core slides. Each of these slides has three points, the why, the how, and the what, and the why not, how not, and the what not, right? So the why of why you should be a founder, the first point is supremely critical. You have probably been a creator, you have created something right from your college, your school, uh, you know, you just had this muscle of wanting to create. Uh, it could be a side gig, it could be a Google form. You just have this creator energy in you. It could be something where you're creating using a right brain also, right? Which is some, you know, a work of art or a work of music. But I think having a strong element of creativity and creation, I think is a, is a huge kick for you. The second one, some of you may not have created stuff, but might just be kicked about solving extremely massive problems, right? There is this uh, brain in you which says, okay, if there's a hard problem, if there's a customer problem, I will go solve it. And if you're always waking up with wanting to solve some one problem every night, then that's sort of a great signal. The third is you want to leave a legacy. And this is something that you have heard enough and more from all of these you know, founders of these unicorns, the Decacons, all the books, the movies, all of that stuff. But there is always this element of wanting to build a big institution in a big market so that you can solve something of, uh, you know, of importance to a large audience. Personally, for me, I have gone through all of these three. I have right from school days, college days, I've always been creating some stuff. I, you know, I created, uh, you know, I was quite a nerd. Uh, I don't know if my team still calls me a nerd today, but I'm much lesser of a nerd. I used to just be coding, coding. Uh, and this was obviously, you know, uh, the first time, and this was way long back, of course, when I saw the output on the computer, the hello world, uh, almost 30 years back. And, uh, I love creating games. I love creating websites. I created the entire intranet inside Infosys in 2000, uh, where it was the largest site inside Infosys. I created an intranet at IM Bangalore. Uh, I created a common San Diego equivalent in IIT Madras. So I've always created stuff and I've gotten kicked out of getting people to see using that. So that was something that was very well embedded in me. So it was always a matter of time before I got on to doing something at a bigger scale. Of course, I probably didn't even know how to spell the word entrepreneurship uh, right out of college. So that was something that happened much later in life. Same with the burning problem. You know, when we, you know, Ashish and me started Urban Ladder, it was, uh, you know, we, we circulated across a variety of ideas, right? We, our original idea was not even furniture. It was about gourmet food you know and you can ask what on earth do we know about gourmet food we moved from gourmet food to grocery and then we moved to the women as a customer but i think we moved as we moved multiple ideas i think it became clearer to us that it had to be a burning problem not just for us but for a wider segment <coughs> sorry in terms of uh, creating legacy again you know the moment you're going to be spending 10 years of your life doing something. You would rather do something which is big, right? Not something that's small, something which is a big problem that is going to get solved. Something which is, uh, you know, you want to leave a legacy where a brand does something, right? For us at Urban Ladder, it was always that, right? It was about leaving a legacy on the customer side. It was about leaving a legacy on the team. It was about leaving a legacy in terms of just building a brand and building a category which didn't exist before us. So that was the reason. and. If you shift to the column in the right, which is all the reasons why you should not start up, 
uh, you know, if work is not one of your critical identities, if work has always been just one more part of you, you probably would do better off not starting up a venture capital-led business because it is going to take and demand a lot out of you, right? So if you're, uh, if work is not your primary identity, right? And all of us can have multiple identities. We're all, you know, obviously here, uh, my other aspect of my one life makes me believe also that, you know, you just have one life. So you're going to uh, have a great relationship. You have great health. You want to have fun. You want to travel. But really, if at that particular juncture of life, work is not sort of your defining attribute, you should question whether you want to become a venture capital founder. Do not become a founder because you have a bad boss or a bad company culture. Just shift companies, just shift bosses. Because for every one bad boss you're going to have in a corporate, you're going to have five such bosses. And who are these bosses? Your customers, your investors, uh, your own co-founders, your team members, your partners, your, uh, you know, your uh, uh, vendors, every single person, you know, the press, everyone becomes your boss and you're answerable at some level to everyone, right? Because that's what when you are in the limelight, when your waste venture capital happens. So do not start a company because you have a bad boss or a bad company culture. Uh, same with respect to money and fame, you know, uh, you know, we've gone through all the ups and downs of the startup journey, you know, one day you're on the front page, you're on the cover of a Forbes India, you're on TV, the next day you're being thrashed for a 30% layoff. Assume in a 10 year period, you're going to get all the highs and all the lows and all the ups and downs. If you have never done it, of course, it gives you a kick the first time, but it's almost like getting an increment. The first time you get it, you're happy. The second time you get it, you're happy, but it all lasts maybe for a week, for 10 days, and then you're back to the grind, right? So this cannot be the reason why, you know, you want to start up or you ever start up. The reason why I sort of painted this is a lot of people see the right columns, you know, and, you know, get in, in an impulse to start up. But I would say the true reason why you start up is actually in the left column. It doesn't mean that you have to tick off all three. It just means that at least two out of these three better be very strong in you. Uh, the next bucket is the how. And uh, the how of it is how do you approach being a founder? I always felt that, you know, if you want to pursue excellence, it's a higher chance that you pursue excellence in your job before you actually become a founder, which is why I always feel that if you're someone who's super strong in some function, whether that's engineering, whether that's product, whether that's marketing sales, I think it actually helps you be a great founder because at least in that core aspect, you can push for excellence across your team. And you can also make sure that that is, uh, that builds a great world-class product. For us at Urban Ladder, you know, I was reasonably strong on digital product, of course, in the media space, not in the commerce space, but that certainly helped us uh, have a very strong landing in terms of the digital product experience. I had no background to brand or HR, but I ended up managing both brand as well as HR for the first many years at Urban Ladder. Same with Ashish, he didn't, he was very strong on supply chain operations, but he didn't have any background in furniture design and or finance, but he, because he was very strong in the supply chain and operations, made sure that he learned uh, furniture design and he became a very, very strong expert in everything wood and uh, furniture. Both of us had zero background to e-commerce, to furniture, to any of this. But I think because we were strong in some function, we were able to develop and shoot for excellence on a variety of other functions. The second is, as you're strong on a function, you also make sure that you have a high quality network of advisors uh, and people, not just across that function, but, but across functions that you're weak on, right? And build this network when you don't need it, not when you need it desperately. Because the moment you need it desperately, you know, you just become very tactical in establishing relationships. A lot of people make this mistake that they wait, they wait to build a network. 
uh, we have found from our experience and we did this well in some aspects, we did not do this well in some aspects. The network always is much, much more useful when you have done it outside of when you needed it, right? A lot of our first, and you know, we, both of us in IM Bangalore in campus used to uh, pretty much know every single one of our batchmates, our juniors, our seniors, which was not the case with a lot of people. And we used to know that not because we had any later purpose with that, but we just used to know them individually because we felt that network was strong. And eight years after graduating, these became our first customers, our first investors. So that network certainly helped us. On the other side, of course, to build a network in the wooden, you know, in the furniture space, that was much, much more difficult. Preparing and managing a personal situation. This is one area where I would, you know, stress a lot. This is something that people don't give enough credence before becoming a founder. But this is probably one of the most important areas. Of course, as women, I think you are extra cognizant because there are a variety of, uh, you know, social pressures and expectations which men take for granted. Uh, but, you know, uh, I think whether you're a woman or a man that's starting up, I think it's extremely important that one, these aspects of your life are not broken, right? Health, physical health and mental health to relationships. If you're just getting into a relationship, either a spouse, you know, or a partner or uh, you're having a kid, I think it's extremely important uh, that you don't, you know, because it's extremely difficult to handle a very new important relationship and do a venture funded startup. It just becomes extremely unmanageable. I had a kid 15 days uh, before we started up Urban Ladder. And in hindsight, I think the first five, six months, I sucked at both. I used to be guilty at handling a kid. I used to be guilty at work also. It took a, uh, you know, it took a lot of effort. Uh, and even as a guy, I used to spend some level of time. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I just felt guilty, right? And this was something that uh, over many years later, you know, this was something that I always tell founders just do not do things like a venture funded business right around the time in hindsight i would have not done it same with respect to wealth i would say have always have at least a 12 18 month uh bank balance for your personal expenses and cut down your personal expenses uh to a level which is manageable if you were taking a holiday to italy go take a holiday to kurg if you're taking you know uh you know if you're uh, uh always dining out every night maybe dine out once a week i think it's possible uh, in a city like Bangalore, as long as you stay close by to actually live, you know, for a, a lakh a month or even lesser, right, in terms of just being as a family, I'm saying, right, obviously, it takes some level of, uh, you know, some level of sacrifices. So whatever is your personal expense, whatever is your personal lifestyle, if you can make sure that you have maybe 12 months, if not 18 months, where you can take that hit and go do something without a salary, that will be great. You will be able to raise as all of you in this, you know, in this forum, at least are extremely sharp, extremely smart. You will be able to raise capital for the actual business itself. What you have to take care of is your own personal expenses. And I think that's something that if you can plan for 12, 18 months, that will really help. On the other side, how not? If you're just a generalist, there is nothing for or against a generalist. It just makes it tougher for you to be excellent at something. There are enough and more unicorn decacon founders who are just generalists who are not experts at anything. But I would say if you can be an expert at something and if you're known for something, it also helps you build a very strong network within your own company. Second is don't have, you know, just peripheral uh, relationships, right? That is not useful. Uh, you should have relationships which are far, far more in depth and a fewer stronger set of relationships will always help you stronger because it needs one strong referral, not 10 people that you know just about well. Same, as I said, don't take anything for granted, specifically physical health. We all have the tendency to take physical health for granted. 
Uh, mental health today, compared to 10 years back, there are more forums that can help you. Uh, but do not take anything for granted here because it is absolutely essential that you have the conversation with your people around uh, the core relationships, the core people to make sure that you're ready to make this, you know, to make this jump. The last core slide, which is the what versus what not. Uh, uh, I think you spend, you end up spending a lot of time with customers, right? In terms of customer obsession, we ended up spending so much time with customers that I think uh, even to this day, I think we know a lot more about why we do something because of the number of hours we spent with customers rather than just doing conference room thinking. A lot of us get into this, uh, you know, doing secondary research, looking at surveys, but there's nothing that's better than talking to customers at that early stage. Building with your own hands and, you know, this goes back to my point one in the how, I think it's extremely important that you do, you get your hands dirty, right? You're not, uh, if you're strong in product, do the first product requirements document. If you're strong in engineering, write the first code. If you're strong in sales, get that first five customers. I think it's extremely important that you don't outsource the first set of things that you do. And as a founder, this will be not just expected. This is the only way that you can even operate as a pre-seed founder. Uh, same with pitches and practice. You're going to spend a lot of time pitching to people. Just make sure that you're pitching to people who are well-intentioned and not some random folks. But you're going to get a lot of input. So make sure that you are always pitching You know your idea if you're on the throngs of becoming a founder. On the other side, what you should not do, as I said, conference room thinking, just copying stuff. Uh, and do not assume just because someone is hearing a pitch and doesn't react that they're going to invest in you. That will never happen. People you know, fall a lot for all these false signals. Uh, and assume that that never in the real world happens. There is one last thing which you know, which is about what I call plain good old luck. Uh, and if if you have to engineer your serendipity, you have to make sure that you are in the right places. I think Leap Club is a great example of a place that uh, you know you are doing your own engineered serendipity, right? All of these forums, all of these places, maybe the right kind of networks within your companies. Just make sure that you're there. Doesn't mean that you overdo it. It just means that uh, you know you spend conscious time. The other part about great founders is the resilience muscle. Typically, if you have been the pain in the ass in your company, which means that you're just pushing stuff, right? Which means you are so obsessed about creating something, you will be a great founder because founders have this muscle about driving through walls. They're great founders. They have this muscle about being resilient and being quote unquote, nothing short of a pain in the ass. I think that's a muscle. If you feel that you have, you will have, you'll be very strong founder material. You're going to have a lot of ups and downs. You're going to have a lot of sacrifices. You might probably be able to do one more aspect of your life. In addition to being a founder, decide whether that's relationship, whether that's fun or whether that's health. Unfortunately, health, you have to keep at a bare minimum. So assume that you're going to have to spend at least some time, which means it's relationship or fun. You can't watch a Netflix and go on a holiday with your partner, right? It just becomes almost impossible. So assume that, you know, you are at a phase of life where you're going to sacrifice something. If you're going to be a venture funded founder, it is, I, I am the first proponent of working smart, uh, where you can, but being a venture funded founder, at least in the first three, two, three, four years is working smart and working hard. It's not just one of the two, uh, as much, you know, there is no construct of a balance, especially in the first two, three years. Uh, the last piece, which is the only one I want to call out explicitly is building your own self-awareness muscle. If you have not failed before, do not become a founder. You're going to be thrashed so badly. Uh, so if you've always only had the highs, you've always only been promoted. You've got the highest increments. 
you've done the ace institutions uh you've just been a high flyer do not be a founder right because unless you have some level of a crash landing at your own small scale in your own company you'll probably be really bad when to handle that crash landing when you become a founder every single unicorn and decacorn founder has a lot of crash landings so just assume that this is part of your life so i would urge for you to fail and had the handle the crash landing in an environment which is slightly safer before you go out there in public and do it the last point that i want you to leave with here is you will never be fully ready so if you ever expect that you're going to be everything is going to be ticked off here that's never going to happen right and the you will be never be fully ready essentially means what i've done is i've just got all the 3 into 3 plus self awareness as 10 points here it's extremely easy for you to build this framework and rate yourself This doesn't mean that if you're a twenty or a thirty on a hundred, you're not yet ready. This doesn't mean that if you're a seventy or an eighty or a hundred, you're absolutely bang on tomorrow. You can become a founder. That's not the purpose of this framework. The framework is really to say, hey, if you can consciously build your score towards a fifty or a sixty or a seventy, you will do far better to become a very strong founder the moment you decide to do it. Right. So this is really at the end of the day one more framework for you to evaluate how ready you are to be a founder. and at the end of the day it is far more than all of these frameworks and all of this it's a call that you have to take somewhere that you're just not and usually usually that call is of the first three points you either want to be a creator and you just you've you've reached the end of not being one or you have a burning problem statement that you want to solve and or you just want to leave that legacy of something building for scale the 30% who have already taken that call i'm sure you know are able to relate to me with me on this uh because that would have usually been the defining factor more than any of the other seven the last point because i'll just about on the half half hour mark is i think it's extremely important as to what you do towards moving to that day zero right it's not just about having an idea i think it's about also picking the right co-founder antler uh across the world has enough research to help you find the co-founder the residency program and the purpose of doing the residency program is to also help you find the co-founder if you're a business person to help you find tech if you're a tech person to help you find the business person it is also about the initial research and what you build and antler during the residency the three months that we have we help you a lot in 2 comma 3 i think the bank balance point i've already talked about uh, a lot of people are in that throngs of should i quit should i not quit but i can tell you one thing i'm sure the 30% of the people will say the moment they made that change from being an employee or a product manager or a marketing manager at a razor pay or a swiggy or a whatever else uh to being a founder of abc i think that kick that you get on day 0 uh there is nothing equivalent right uh, and uh, it is something that i personally have gone through it personally uh, something that a lot of you have gone through i do wish and hope that a lot of the 50% plus the 20% uh do that at some point in time not too far away uh and the last part about you know i'm not going to spend too much time on this slide is if you're looking for a right co-founder i think i would go at it with four or five different angles one make sure that your vision is extremely aligned right in terms of why you're building what you're building right if your vision is not aligned across the space you're going to have a lot of issues two make sure your values are aligned it could be you could have different strategies but the on the how if your values of what you find is critical in the company or building is not aligned then it's a wrong co-founder right three make sure your skills are complementary if your skills i mean they can't be similar there can be at least some level of complementarity has to be there 
which essentially means just don't go start up something with just your college mate who has the same background as yourself, right? Just because they're a college mate, they know you, you for five years or they know you for 10 years. As much as a lot of the unicorns in the last decade have been started by people like that, we very strongly believe with a lot of data that people who are far more complementary in skills, but who are aligned on vision and values form much better co-founders. Four, make sure that there is an alignment on working style, right? In terms of at least you know your quirks, you know how each other work. The last is to make sure that you also have some level of personality uh, you know, assessment. And this is something that in Antler India we're doing as part of all of these five, by the way, we do. Uh, we do have interactions between tech and non-tech because the language that two people use are very different. We do have uh, very specific projects to make you see each other's working styles. We do go into understanding vision, values, uh, personality types. And this is something that we stress a lot on the three-month program through Antler India Residency. Give it a, you know, give it a check if you are in that 50% bucket and if you think that this is, I, I, I see a, a few people here who have already applied for the program, but uh, do give it a check. I'm going to go back to this slide and I'm going to pause. So, Neb, have uh, you take any questions? Uh, yes, Rajiv, a bunch of questions actually on the chat box. Uh, I'm going to start with the first one that came in, which is, uh, you know, how do you decide if you should take action on the idea that you have? We spoke a bunch of, about a bunch of parameters, but if you can elaborate a little more on what should be the ideal parameters to determine if an idea is actually worth investing, you know, the time, the capital. Today, there are a lot more tools than ever before than 10 years back to be able to do it. One, I would start with, okay, so first up, do your basic secondary research, which is who is done, what are the spaces, what do investors say, what, are, you know, do your secondary research because that costs nothing, that just costs time, right? Just make sure that you've done your secondary research, not just in India, but models in, unfortunately, the VC community loves China, loves US. So do your research to make sure that you have, it doesn't mean that something has to be in a different market, even if it's not here. It just means just do your research. So it starts with secondary research. Second, do primary research. And it's super easy to do primary research today, even if you're in the B2B space, right? Just go talk to customers, send, you know, for example, in the Urban Ladder initial days, we just wanted to make sure that furniture buying and furniture buying and the needs were not just people that we knew or our own needs. We actually did a survey, both quality and quantity. Uh, quantitative, we talk, we actually did a survey with 100 uh, founder, uh, 100 customers. Even when we were starting Antler, we did a quantitative survey with 1,100 founders before we started Antler in India, right? So quantitative, there's a variety of ways through social media, through your network. You just have to draft the survey in a strong way. 50 to 60 responses start giving you meaningfully uh, strong patterns, right? In terms of as long as you've identified the TG right. So you can do quantitative survey, you can do voice of customer, which is qualitative survey. Avoid focus groups because there's group think usually. Third, the moment you do secondary research and then primary research, put out your hypothesis and have a very simple no-code way. And when I say a no-code way, there are enough and more free tools. Today, if you have to open a commerce site, you can do through Shopify. It hardly costs you anything. If you have to build, uh, just it could be a Google form. It could be a Google site, right? There are ways in which you can do things no-code. Beyond a point, unfortunately, other than validating, ratifying an idea, you actually don't need enough data because there's no end. It's, it's almost like you will never be ready. No data will ever be enough. You know, that's the other quote, right? So you will have to make that, uh, you know, gut plus database call to say, this is something I believe. For example, some of the biggest ideas do not, I mean, look at our own case. If I had to look at data to start online furniture, the market mm -hmm. size was zero, 
right? So there is no, I mean, people were buying furniture, but there was no clarity that people are going to buy furniture online. It was somewhere a gut call plus an intuition call based on some level of a pattern that, okay, mobiles, people have started buying, books, people have started buying, fashion, people have just started buying. So it is not abnormal to think that at some future point in date, uh, you know, people will start buying furniture also, right? So, so a lot of it is storytelling. Uh, the smart founders typically have decided what they want to do and tell a story towards all the data and all the customer traction and everything else towards making that story. So I think it's a higher chance that you have decided to do something and everything else is just a story, right? So uh, there's nothing wrong against doing it 101, which is okay. I, I won't believe till I get data. I can tell you, you can paint data both ways. So, you know, you just, you're probably giving a reason to not start up. Correct. And I think Avni also had actually a very similar question uh, to what you said that uh, they may be no guarantee, but and the, may, the market may be not be very large today. But if you have that scope and you have the willing, uh, the tenderness, tendingness to kind of give the story, I think it should work for them. So yeah, I think see, I'll venture, answer your question. Venture capital hmm. goes after big markets. So if the market is not already big, uh, it's great. we do believe founders who can change our view to something that the market will be big. So it's about your storytelling capability there. Got it. Uh, Shalini has a question. Uh, Shalini, would you like to unmute yourself and ask uh, about the VC back venture? Uh, hi, Rajiv. Great presentation. Um, if you, so my question is, you know, um, you mentioned that, uh, you know, you have to be prepared for 2x, 3x, 5x, in your, even in your personal, um, how do I say, even in your personality, in, you know. So what does that mean? What does it 2x, 5x mean? about yourself you know what what should one expect uh, you know what kind of transformation or growth one should see or one should prepare oneself for sure i think in the zero to one you're going to be an individual performer right where you're going to be building stuff yourself you're going to be writing requirements so it's going to be very similar to if you were a product manager or a senior product manager you're going to uh, it's going to be very similar in terms of your functional skills but in addition as two founders you're going to pitching to investors and you're going to get probably 25 out of 30 rejections you're going to, you know, all the grand plans of the first feature set that you landed, which you thought in a big company is going to any which way get customers, is now as a brand ABC, not going to get any customers. So, you know, you're not going to get the same level of traction that you had planned all of this grand thing. And there is obviously, a, you know, a, this one small percentage chance that it does. But all of those things which you had not planned in a big company, you take some of this for granted, right? Because you use the power of a you know, Microsoft or a Google or the power of, let's say, any of these, you know, uh, today Razorpay is a big enough company, or Flipkart is a big company, you land a feature, suddenly 100,000 users are using it, If you, it's a, whether it's in the SME front or on the customer front. Whereas if you're a startup with nothing, with no customer, you're going to face a lot of rejection. So I would say the zero to one, the singular uh, change that you do is a lot of rejections and handling those rejections. Because when you go hire talent, that person will not join you on the last day. Two months you have waited for the person to join, they are not going to join you. Investors will make you believe that they are going to invest tomorrow and uh, two weeks later they just, uh, uh, you know, abscond. Uh, we won't do it, I'm just saying investors in general. Uh, you know, we, you, you're going to face a humongous amount of rejections from customers, from every single audience. So zero to one, that's the first big thing. In the one to ten, where you've gotten some metrics and you've, you know, crossed that first set of hurdles, you're going to suddenly become, you know, you're going to have co-founder conversations in terms of what the roles are. These are people, you know, you, you, you took, if you're the CEO running the show, 
then you have a so you you got to wear multiple hats as any founder you are the founder which means that you have a particular vision for which you have to execute you are the ceo or the cto which means that you have a an answerability to the board you are a board member which means that you have ans- you are, you, are, you you own an organization you are a financial shareholder which means that you have a financial stake in something you're also a professional who has a career so you want to learn something you want to do something every day these five are always at loggerheads and the more you grow you know the 1 to 10 the 10 to 100 these become more and more at loggerheads so when you are performing so many roles at the same time compared to a senior product manager at some xyz company it is a very different ball game and as the company grows defining vision defining values making sure that okay you go through a rough phase you're going to change your values what does it mean to change the values because at the end of the day the founder's responsibility more than anything else is to build that institution make that institution move towards its own uh, you know its own potential more than the individual's potential so tomorrow you might be doing something which you never signed up for right as a professional so so the number of changes the amount of growth levers that you're going to go through and all of this where there's going to be shit hitting the roof in your personal life in your health press is going to write maybe there's a layoff a macro environment there's a crypto tanking ukraine is going to war with russia so there are so many things which are way beyond that you unfortunately any amount of stoicism is not going to help uh in your in your startup so i think there's just a lot of situations and at the end of the day i think when you go through so many things from creating something from zero I think you just learn lot lot more than any other platform. I don't know if that answered your question uh Shalini. It it did it. It also 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 scary so. <laughs> Job is to not make you scared but yes to to infuse some elements of reality. Yes. No but thanks that thanks that was helpful. Yeah. I think it's it's definitely been a session where we're getting a lot of truth bombs and uh, reality check uh, for a couple of things. Uh but Rajiv I just wanted to understand like what would you say are some non-negotiable lists of uh you know stuff to check off in planning to set up a startup like you know you have to have your branding product um product market fit like what are the couple of things that you would say would be 100% uh to do on the checkout uh, on the checkout list none of it none of it oh. <laughs> startup none of it right because this this is the thing today 10 years back uh, many more of it today none of it because today there is pre-seed capital okay hmm. there is capital to make you take a lot of these experiments make four experiments three experiments go fail at the cost of a vc antler operates at pre seed and we know 30% of the startups that we invest in will not even see the light of day okay the first stage i'm saying at the first stage throughout its life maybe 50% of startups will fail right or 60% might fail so there is a new class of investors called pre seed investors whose real role is they're betting on you as an individual they're betting on your vision they're betting on what you're set out to do as long as you don't lose interest on the way and as long as you don't run away with the money we are absolutely fine with the experiments that you take and as long and we are making that belief in you and your ability which means that you will make wise experiments we will guide you will nudge you but it's finally your call uh, and that is the advantage today you don't need any of it you will build it all you you quit as i said those 10 things that i said those hold in terms of why you start up how you approach it and what but you don't need anything else when you're starting up you just need passion for a particular space for a particular customer problem and you go pitch and something like an antler india residency you quit with nothing right you just <laughs> quit and there's nothing and i'm not kidding i'm not exaggerating i'm not making this up uh, just because i'm on this side of the table it's reality it's 
today for people, especially people who are in this forum, who obviously are all doing something phenomenally strong, there is just no risk of, you know, uh, going back to something. Because today, again, 10 years back, if you do a startup, uh, you have to go back to a corporate, right? So if you fail in a startup, some corporate has to bless you to come back. And that was always a tougher sell. Today, there are 100 unicorns, 100 unicorns. The market may be up and down, right? That's very difficult to predict. You know, there's so much news of layoffs in the last month and stuff. And people might be like, oh, shit, if I lose my job, you know, given the number of layoffs, people may not. But, you know, if you have made that call and you're going to become a founder, you're going to at least be at it for the next six to 12 months, because that's what I said, right? You have to, nothing happens in just one month or two months, right? You can't give up so soon. You're making that call that you're going to try at least for 12 months. Um, when you come back after 12 months, as long as you have done something in that time period and not just sat, uh, I think people, there's enough and more people. Macro, you can't predict, to be fair. 12 months later, is the market going to be worse? Are there going to be more layoffs? I don't know. No yeah, one yeah. knows. Uh, but I think leave the ups and downs of the market. You will find something meaningful. In the worst case, this doesn't fly. So there is no risk. Absolutely. I think another one of those uh, myths and uh, something that a lot of us carry baggage over as well. Uh, so, Mathi actually has a very interesting question in terms of um, how to make this career transition. She's come up with another model altogether. Uh, Swati, you want to unmute and ask this question? Yeah, sure. So, um, uh, for those who don't have the confidence yet to start up, do you think it makes more sense to maybe have something at the side going on that generates passive income? And then after six years, you have the confidence to start up. So do you think that kind of a career transition makes sense? I actually have a different suggestion on a career transition, right? Which is to join a startup. So if you're not already in an early stage, I think that's probably a very well-defined way to get to do a startup is to join a startup, right? Uh, I actually shift, at that time, there were not too many opportunities. There were not, you know, I, actually, I was actually before Urban Ladder interviewing with uh, Flipkart. I actually remember interviewing with Sachin and Bini and, you know, they were looking for a director of product and, you know, I actually had another offer from a company in Bombay. I decided I'm not going to shift from Bangalore to Bombay. Uh, and then it just worked out, things worked out and we started up. But, you know, if you have to do that zero to one journey uh, and if you still have one or two confidence cycles to get to that, I would say that I think it's important to get that journey through someone else. And there is enough and more today as long as you're willing to make that jump, right? Of course, it comes with a, some level of a financial cut or whatever else if you've been in a big company, but maybe it's not a zero to one company. Maybe it's a series B, series C company, and then you go to a series A company, right? So you can do it as two transitions also. But doing things on the side, I'll tell you the challenge. Uh, life only gets busier. Dependencies only increase. Uh, and there are just dependencies in terms of people, in terms of, you know, it just, you, you get to a bigger house, you want to take the next big vacation. You know, you want to, you know, there's just no end to it with time. So those five, six years you think is five, six years. There are 10 other people who have started up in that same time who don't have all those uh, confidence challenges and or life state challenges. And the idea that you thought was so hard. So it life only gets busier. So I think there is something to be said about age. Uh, there's no, of, of course, you can be a great founder at 50. You can be a crappy founder at 20. But I think there's something to be said about getting in younger and having more cycles to experiment and fail because it's not your first startup maybe that succeeds, not even your second startup, maybe it's your fourth startup that's a unicorn or a decacorn, right? So uh, I think you just need to give yourself more cycles. And I think the way to do that is not a side gig. 
nothing against or for a side gig it might work for some people much better but i think there's a higher chance that it works through joining a startup great thanks rajiv i think that insight really helps sure right uh, coming back to the business side of things and you know what you're trying to kind of achieve with your startup uh, is it important that the business always has to be about solving a problem um if not and how do you kind of define the impact also in that case give me an example of something which is not solving a problem the question from purnima so i'm going to get her to unmute and ask this question and give us an example as well purnima purnima you want to yeah go for yeah it. hi uh, hi rajji thanks for the presentation um so uh when you say solving a problem right like i run a food startup so it's not like i'm solving like a particular problem uh but it's something that i'm probably one part of it is unique right so how do you like say that you're creating or change an impact or changing people's lives it's not that food startups don't uh, you know succeed so so that was the uh, you know the question you're solving the biggest problem in life food <laughs> you're solving like you know you're solving the roti kappa makan you're solving the first <laughs> roti right so i actually feel if you're doing anything with respect to food that's like the base of the maslow hierarchy so uh, you have to completely re, uh, reimagine in terms of at least the storytelling of it and i very strongly feel when i use the word uh, problem solving i don't exactly intend that oh it's a burning problem only it could be something which is new and it's going after something in a way which someone has never imagined right so if you are either building a food brand or and food is a massive space the good part about food is for example it just plays in a massive uh, uh, space so as long as you get the core product right uh, you the market is in your favor right which you can't say for a lot of other markets so so problem solving for me is just about painting the story in terms of problem solving it's not about exactly a particular problem solving and food for example anything you do in food whether to deliver a particular food or you're in the logistics of the food or in the raw material of the food or you're managing it's about health it's about i think anything and everything you do in food is solving a massive problem i mean we our food can be 10x better i mean the amount of options the uh, you know the variety and the quality and all of that stuff so i mean it's a huge problem you're solving i don't know why you don't feel that that way thank you thank you for changing my point of view uh nishita has a uh, i think a follow up question on this would you like to unmute yourself and ask nishita yeah uh, hi hi rajin so i had a related question here like you did with urban platter you sort of created a category so uh, like as a first time uh, entrepreneur who's anyway on the fence uh, how does it make sense to go after a business where you're trying to create a category or or you would like you know fall off the ladder too quickly and you would not see your journey through uh, repeat the question i i mean i heard some parts of it i didn't hear some parts of it nisha your voice is not very clear uh is it better now uh go ahead yeah yeah so i said like uh, as a as a person who uh, who wants to do a startup but but is on the fence does it make sense to start up with something which is creating a category because you know that involves a lot of risk and yeah. how much more hard work will that entail if you want to create a category educate people and just create a need for it yeah that's a fair question i think it is a tougher problem to solve to create a category compared to uh doing a product in an existing category the story has to be tougher but 
the biggest wins are also in the same. It's it's the biggest risk gives the biggest wins. So if you feel very strongly and see at the end of the day, you need one believer. There will be 99 naysayers, people in your own network, people in the VC industry. And as long as you can, it goes back to the core foundations. If you feel 12 to 18 months, you can easily give. You would have given and you have the energy from a life stage perspective, from financial perspective, from health perspective, and everything else on that framework, largely a lot of it is ticked off. You should absolutely go for it because whether it's a problem in existing category or because at the end of the day, see, you have to do what your, there's always a, a people favoring, there is something called the founder market fit, which a lot of investors give a very heavy value to. If you have background in a particular space, you will always be given more credence on that particular space rather than you jumping on a completely new space. So if you're quote unquote creating a category within the field of something which is your specialization, people will actually trust your judgment. And it is a harder problem, of course, because for example, if it involves change in behavior, if it involves education, if it involves you know, something which is a completely new behavior, it will take you more time. But as long as you have the confidence that because of your inherent customer understanding, you can do a fair job at it, it is as good, if not better. Yes, it is high, high risk, but it is as good because you at least will at the end of the day feel far more impactful if, if you succeed or fail. Very philosophical that, answer, I know, but yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that got into like a very different perspective, but uh, interesting nonetheless. Uh, we're going to take in the last few questions uh, right now. Aruna, you had a question that was pending on the chat box. Uh, please go ahead and mute and ask your question. Hi, Rajiv uh, and everybody. Thanks for this wonderful session. My question is, if you have, if you are a bootstrapped founder and there are two ways you can go, you know, continue your business in a bootstrap way, but maybe uh, have slower scale or go the VC way and have accelerated scale. On what basis do you determine the trade-offs? I've unfortunately done only one of it, the second part. And uh, I wish I had a A versus B. There's enough, uh, the top three profitable uh, or the top two profitable unicorns are bootstrapped. And uh, the there are 100 unicorns which are not bootstrapped. I unfortunately have done only one of it. And, and to be fair, I think you have to ask yourself this question. When you're doing the venture funded route, you're going to have far more stakeholders in this. And there is an expectation to grow in scale. Rest assured, you can't jump between one and another too often. There's one point in your life where you can jump from one to another. It is very difficult to jump from venture to bootstrap, unfortunately, because there are people on your cap table that you have to kick out and clear out before you can move bootstrap. They're expecting higher and higher returns, but it is possible. There are people who have done it. Uh, New Sigma was the uh, latest case of doing that. Uh, the other side, again, you have probably one shot at doing that. You can't keep oscillating. So if you're ready for what it is a, a trickier, tougher mental challenge for sure. It is a trickier, tougher scale challenge for sure to move from bootstrap to venture. So, yeah, I mean, you're sort of somewhere writing off the next three, five, seven, ten years, dependent on your luck, to something which you're going to create an institution. At the end of the day, you're creating an institution which has to live beyond your time. Be ready and clear on that. Even in the bootstrap case, that's probably true. But in the venture case, that's 100% true. Of course, Mark Zuckerberg is still the founder. Bezos is still the founder, but those are all exceptions to the rule. There are enough and more venture funded companies which are way beyond their founders in a five, seven, 10 year period. So if this is something you're going to do for life, maybe you can do it bootstrap. I don't know if it's something that 
uh, you know, you, you do believe that it's the next five, seven years, maybe you can do venture. There is no one right answer to your question, by the way. Hope that helps, Aruna. Um, I'm going to take in the last two questions now. Uh, Rajiv, we spoke about this a little bit, but uh, when you see a lot of these founders coming up with their own startup journey and they just send that zero to one phase specifically, um, what are some of the key pitfalls that they need to avoid? Like uh, one would be like talking about the mindset, any other steps that, you know, when they're looking at a VC, anything that you can give advice on here? There's a lot of people in my own team who are here, so maybe I should just look to Nandini and uh, Kathy and uh, to to add on better answers, which I might be uh, I might be blindsided or completely missing. Nandini, you want to add? You've raised money from venture capital. Kathy, you've raised money from venture capital. Sorry, could you repeat that question, Meher? Sure. Hi, Nandini. So Hi. the question was basically, what are some of the key pitfalls that uh, you know people can uh, avoid as much as possible when they're starting their journey to a uh, to entrepreneurship. I think the, um, I'll talk about the mistakes I have made, and I I spoke about it in uh, in another session. Yes. Right. I think that um, not speaking to your users enough, or looking at it from a very unidimensional view, and using that as your main storytelling point. Uh, is something that didn't work well for us. That we 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 should have spent some more time uh, building, like Rajiv said, building some more before taking money from anyone else. Um, after a point, it 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 started becoming like, what will our investors think of us if we're changing what we're building? So, my advice is that as much as Antler India Residency is looking for people without even an idea, and we're open to that, my honest advice would be to spend a lot of time with your users build something it doesn't have to be like a full-fledged product or an app but build something no code something that you might sell on whatsapp to get some idea of what your users are saying before actually taking um venture capital because like rajiv has pointed out multiple times once that happens um then you're on this then you're on this you know treadmill this, yeah treadmill yeah right and then it becomes a treadmill you cannot get off yeah. You cannot get off. It's a treadmill. You cannot get off. That's what it is. Venture capital. It's it's raising and it just and you know it's very hard. Yeah. Be very sure. I, I think, I think also yeah from my experience uh, also failed startup. Um, but I think my biggest lesson from the first time around is just that the the startup path is all about extremes, right? Extreme positive is that you're fighting for your dreams. You're creating. You could see the impact that you have, right? Whether that's on at whatever scale, your team, you know, your investors, your product, your customers. So the thrills and the highs are really damn high. You know, I don't think you can get that in any job period. But the lows are also the lowest you'll experience on the extreme end as well. The challenge, the despair, the sacrifices, right? Because the liability of, uh, unlike a job, I always think of it as like, it's like unlimited liability. You know, you cannot switch off. You cannot, everything at the end of the day is going to be your responsibility. There's no saying, hey, beyond this point, I mean, this is not my thing, right? This is literally your thing. That's what you've signed up for. So I think that the highs are really high. The lows are really low. And in that sense, when I look at any opportunity from here on forward, it's like the conviction and dedication you have to your idea to get you through the, that roller coaster high and low needs to be really high, you know, 
And I know the pressure, I mean, I, I think startups have become fashionable now in a way, you know, a lot of people think, hey, at some point in my career, I should just start up. Hey, my friends are starting up. I should start up, you know, and all we're reading in the press are the glory stories, right? The successes, the rounds that are raised, the, the, the extreme highs. I mean, Rajiv is one of those very rare founders who's very public about also the extreme lows, like he writes about in One Life Theory, like a very candid reflection on the founder journey, right? But you hear much fewer of those stories. They're not out there in the public. And so I think that conviction needs to be super high because the highs will be very high. The lows will be very low. And the relationships, especially with your co-founder, need to be able to survive that. You know, this is a person that you need to be able to go through that amount of volatility with and come out with a thriving relationship and partnership. Right. So I think those are two of my biggest learnings, at least. I think that's a last point that Kathy said is extremely important. I think communication. Right. At the end of the day, you're going to be communicating a lot with a humongous variety of stakeholders. So if you do not like communication, if you are a, a bit of an introvert or if you're a, you know, if you just love to live within your own sort of, fief, uh, you know, in your small cocoon, uh, a venture funded startup is not the best thing, right? Because you're going to be hiring, you're going to be talking to people, you're going to be going through the ups and downs, the co-founder, you're going to communicate a hell lot, right? So I think that's probably the singular aspect on which you're going to change the most. Uh, but yeah, I think Nandri and Kathy covered it well. I mean, I don't have anything additional to add there. Uh, everything that I've said are potential pitfalls, by the way. So, and there are probably yes. 20 more. No, thank you. I think uh, very interesting to hear from Nandri and from Kathy as well. Thank you so much. Uh, we also now at uh, the time where we need to wrap up. I think you're at six, seven at seven thirty here. I don't want to take any more of your time, uh, Rajiv, Nandri, and Kathy. Um, Thank you so much for doing the session for us. I think uh, it's been really, really eye-opening. A lot of truth bombs here. A lot of stuff that uh, a lot of a bunch of us can go back and reflect and hoping for these percentages to become a little better in the next session that we do, Rajiv. Uh, from 50, maybe we'll go to like a 70% for all, you know, the next time. No, no, thanks absolutely for having me. And you folks are doing a great job at Leap Club. And, you know, we, we you. really need more women founders. We really need, and we are doing our small bit in whichever way we can. And uh, I think the uh, in every aspect, it'll only be better companies if we can have more women founders for sure. And uh, I think there's a lot of questions here in case we have not answered. Please do message us on LinkedIn, India-residency at Antler. If it's specific to Antler, India-residency at antler.co. Uh, uh, you know, I might be a bit slow on LinkedIn, but certainly I'll make sure that I respond. Just mention that, you know, you were in the Leap Club. Uh, so sorry if we didn't answer any questions. Neha, Kathy, and I are also on Leap Club. So if you want to super connect, um, send us messages. That's also something that we can help with. Absolutely. Yes. I think we're one of those rare firms in town. We're 50% women. We expect to keep it that way. And one of the things we're really dedicated to is backing more women founders. I mean, we already have a couple in the portfolio who are extremely strong and doing amazing work. And whatever Nandini and I can do uh, to go the extra mile to help you take this step, because as women, I think we have a lot more, you know, social pressure and responsibilities on the personal side. We might not have uh, as much of that very brash kind of confidence sometimes I see in male founders, but whatever we can do to help you take the call and get to the next you know, step in your journey, happy to volunteer time or whatever we can. Now you all know exactly what to do, head to the app, super connect with them and they'll answer all your unanswered questions by now. Uh, but thank you once again, everyone for joining us today. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed the session and had a lot to take back. We'll be dropping you an email with uh, some of our key takeaways from the session as well. So watch out for that. And in the meantime, we're going to see you on our next experience, which is this Saturday with Arvindar Kajral. Uh, for folks in Bangalore, we're coming to Bangalore finally with the Leap Affair. So we're going to see you on Sunday there. Uh, yeah, till then, have a great day. Any of you coming on a Sunday? Yes. Day, to catch up.
Thank you. Yes, Nandini is going to be there as well. So thank you so much, everyone. Have a great week, and we'll see you very, very soon. Bye, bye.